Felina Hewitts is an author, speaker, spiritual director, retreat guide, and yoga instructor. She is passionate about spirituality and making the world a better place. With a rare gift for communicating the dynamics of the spiritual journey, Felina gracefully guides others towards personal growth, bringing harmony to the active and contemplative dimensions of life. She joins us today in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we talk about her memoir, Pilgrimage of a Soul, Contemplative Spirituality for the Active Life. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. Super excited to have joining us again, Felina Hewitts from Omaha, Nebraska. She was one of our first people to say yes to the podcast. And um, man, just the work that she and her husband do via the Gravity Center in Omaha, Nebraska, and really that outreach is, is a global movement of uh, joy and enlightenment. They've been such a beacon of light for me. Um, they've helped me along my path, and she's just kind of re-released a revised edition of her book, Pilgrimage of a Soul. So I called her and I said, hey, would you please come on again? We need your wisdom. We need you back at the table teaching us the deep, deep truths that you know. So with that being said, uh, Felina's here. Felina, welcome back. Thanks, Ashton. It's a total pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me back. Of course, of course. You were one of our first yeses. Um, so it's you hold a special place in my heart. And uh, I know with our listeners, we've had Chris on recently. We had you a couple years back. Um, it's kind of a new day here at Let the Music Play podcast. So maybe some people haven't heard that episode or they're not familiar with your work. When you begin uh, with the work that you do in the world, um, where do you begin? Oh, wow. Well, honestly, I begin with prayer Hmm. and prayer in a way that is so different from how I was taught to pray. So I, I begin with prayer without words really, Hmm. because I've, I've found that, um, so much of my life, um, was programmed, uh, really to be what other people needed me to be. And um, there was a lack of freedom in the way uh, a lot of my life was um, wired and driven and um, in the ways that I was motivated. So for me, um, meditation or contemplative prayer, um, also known as non-discursive prayer, prayer without words is where it all begins for me, because that's um, that's the beginning of freedom for me to to live into um, who I really am and not um, who other people want me to be or the various kinds of ways that I was programmed to um, be something that I'm really not. Yeah. So yeah. prayer helps me to be who I am. Yeah. And you've really become yeah. a, uh, I mean, one of the leaders, I, th- I think, in this conversation of, of back into prayer and stillness and silence and solitude. Um in your journey, just for maybe some of us that, that don't know you personally, when, when was that original, like, aha, the, the, the waking up, the, I know you write in this, in your book about awaking from the slumber. Um, when did you start knowing that there's more, that it begins at prayer, it begins in silence? Um, yeah. So it's a really good question. For me, um, I, I do feel a little bit unusual um, 
I grew up, my father was a pastor. I grew up in the church, um, going to church at least three times a week. I mean, some of your listeners might, might identify with that story, but for those who don't identify with my particulars, I hope, I hope people will hear that, um, that awakening began with real, with suffering. Hmm. So regardless of sort of, um, how much people identify with some of the particularities that, that we might get into, it's, it's suffering that, that woke me up. And, um, wow. one of my, one of my teachers, um, indicates, you know, that the, that the mystics of all traditions really note that, that waking up begins with either great suffering or great love. Mm. And, um, in my life, it has been marked with suffering, uh, and, and <laughs> maybe unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, it's the recurrence of suffering yeah. that keeps waking me up. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, well, we'll get in. I don't want to, I don't want to steal thunder from kind of where this conversation's going. Um, but you, so the book was just, just came out again in a revised edition, Pilgrimage of a Soul. Um, and, oh, it's like, it's so good. So good. Mm. Um, I love the way you authentically, um, you know, like just, just, your vulnerability, your openness, um, you allow space for questions, you allow space to be in the dark. Um, it was just a great read. And I think no Mm -hmm. matter where anyone is in their spiritual journey, um, it could be a significant thing for them. What Mm -hmm. I I know that the book is kind of this metaphor, uh, of a pilgrimage, but it's also, uh, you actually did a pilgrimage on the El Camino. What, I guess, where do we start with the idea of you writing this book? Why did you write it? And so mm-hmm. forth. Yeah, great. Okay, so uh, just a, a little bit of background from my life story. Uh, I co-directed an international nonprofit that served among the most vulnerable of the world's poor. So working with survivors of trafficking, children with AIDS, uh, children living on the streets, and um, survivors of war. Uh, child soldiers, war brides. Uh, that was my life's work. Mm-hmm. And about seven years, eight years into that, our organization uh, gifted my husband and me a sabbatical. And that was incredible. It was like five months of, of basically unplugging from the life as we knew it. And and then, and then at that time, I mean, we didn't even have like a smartphone to... Um, to keep us dialed in, hmm. we would have had to have gone to like internet cafes or whatever, because our, our sabbatical origin uh, like began by doing this pilgrimage, um, this ancient pilgrimage in Spain, the Camino de Santiago. And so completely unplugged, disconnected in every way from our life, um, we embarked on this 33-day walk across northern Spain. And, and so with that journey, um, coinciding with my own journey of becoming, uh, this book kind of emerged. Hmm. So the, I really didn't, uh, intend to write a book. I, uh, it's, it's just that at that time and around 2007, uh, no, yeah, 2007, uh, I was, I was going through a lot and the pilgrimage uh, across Spain um, really stirred up quite a bit for me. And, but as well, just 
my life as I knew it was, was stirring up quite a bit. And so I, I wrote for my own sanity. Hmm. I wrote to try to find my way through this inner angst and in some cases inner turmoil. And, and then what developed for me were these signposts um, for my own interior journey or um, my spiritual journey uh, and those signposts being awakening, longing, darkness, death, transformation, intimacy, and union. And as those signposts emerged, it just really helped me stay grounded in a sense and to realize that what I was going through, you know, I wasn't going crazy. I wasn't losing my way. I was actually finding my way, mm-hmm. but it was a way that there was no one had taught me the way no one had given me the roadmap, so to speak. And so these signposts became really helpful. So yeah, then it developed from there into a book. And so I love that you had already begun an interior pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. Um, It just so happened to coincide with this 30 plus day (laughs) physical pilgrimage. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And it seemed like that physical metaphor Mm-hmm. helped clear the way for the interior interior form of that metaphor. Is that, I mean, am I hearing you right there? Yeah, yeah, that's really well said. You Because you, yeah. you write, progressing from one place to another and responding mm-hmm. with grace to the world around us. With this mm-hmm. posture, the human condition is poised to ask questions and find answers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as if you were like, if I can say I'm on a pilgrimage, mm-hmm. then I can... It's okay to be uncertain. It's okay for the ground to be a little wobbly beneath my feet. Um, yeah. So- yeah. I, I think a lot of us don't get that message growing up. And and I know you really appreciate um, one of my teachers, Richard Rohr, no. uh, probably many of your listeners do. And he, um, he, he talks about, you know, how it's important to build this container in the first half of life. And so I think a lot of us, we get that message of building something that seems sure and seems almost static. Mm-hmm. So this is who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm the daughter of this person. I'm the partner to this person. I'm the mother to these people or the father to these people, like defined in relationship often, you know, to the people in our life and the things that we do or the things that we have. And, uh, and what happens along the way, if we live long enough, is that is that that container begins to shake and break down. And I guess pilgrimage really gives us an understanding for, no, this is normal. Like it is, um, it is. It, the invitation is to grow and to change and to progress from one place to another. That life is actually a pilgrimage. It's not static. It's not finding one box, one container to be in and be in that for the rest of our life, that we are in a process of, of dying and rebirthing and becoming more and more of, of who we really are. Yeah. So good. And, and uh, so this, you kind of, you divide this book into awakening, longing, darkness, death, transformation, intimacy, and union. Um, I could have just lived in the awakening stage. And I don't know if that's a reflection of my pilgrimage and where I'm at. Um, It probably is. That's probably a different conversation. Um, But just this awakening into wholeness, into truth, Mm. into health, into love, it's 
it's such a crazy place to be, even just to raise your hand and go, I'm not whole, or at least I don't feel whole. Mm. Um, and the world, world feels fragmented and this doesn't feel healthy and I'm operating out of fear instead of love. Um, mm. so this, this awakening to the true self, mm. um, and you know, Roar tells us that sometimes mm. if we're lucky, it happens by 35. Most of the time, this is an after 50 conversation, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing that change. You know, I think mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of younger people go, this is, I mean, I was sold that whatever I was sold is not working. Yeah. Um, and you talk about the programs for happiness. And, and mm. I, I wanted to pause in this because this awareness conversation, this awakening conversation was huge for me in Thomas Keating's programs for happiness. Mm-hmm. Do you want to, you want to kind of break that down for our listeners on yeah. waking up to a way that even we pursue happiness to numb that which isn't working? Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to. So for those of um, you out there that have not heard of Thomas Keating, he's a Cistercian monk and he's in his late, I'm pushing late nineties now, but he will go down in history as a major reformer for mm-hmm. Christianity. Um, he's a contemporary in a way of, of Richard Rohr and he just, these programs for happiness that he names are so incredibly helpful. I'm, I, I was meeting with my spiritual director yesterday and, and brought up the, the, the programs for happiness again in my own inner reflection because it, it helps me so much to, um, to understand what I'm dealing with from time to time. So uh, in, in Keating's teaching, he says that there are these three programs for happiness. Uh, they're not good or bad they're neutral they're just biological they're wired into our biology as human beings but we essentially have three ways of of achieving happiness by having a relative amount of power and control security and survival and affection and esteem so these categories so power and control security and survival affection and esteem these are programs for obtaining happiness. And we know that if we don't get a certain degree of these programs for happiness met as we're developing um, as children, if, if those are severely neglected in some way, then we, we don't grow into well-adapted adults. Um, and there have been studies, of course, done on, on orphans um, who are left abandoned and without touch or affection or these things right and i mean severely you know debilitating and so these are just necessary for human development but the problem arises when we are have reached adulthood and we are overly identified with these programs for happiness so for example in my own life um when i started waking up I realized that I was overly identified with what other people thought of me and what other people needed from me. So this program for affection and esteem, I started to realize how many of my decisions were made um, attached to my anticipation of what others wanted from me or needed from me or what they would think of me. And when I 
started to realize this, it was like, oh my gosh, like Mm -hmm. I'm not free at all Mm -hmm. to make Mm -hmm. decisions in my life. Like I thought I had been freely making decisions and freely responding to the world around me. I was actually not free at all. I was very much addicted to the affection and esteem of others. And so these programs show up generally, we, we tend to identify with one more than another, but each of them can be triggered in our life at different yeah. times. So I think the, the, the programs for happiness are, are a helpful framework for beginning to help us see how, you know, in what ways am I really not free? Yeah. Operating from the subconscious oftentimes. Oh, um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I, this just triggered with me. Does this conversation align with kind of the Henry Nowen, I am what I do, I am what people say about me, I am what I have. Um, oh, you're, you are so brilliant. Yeah. Now, I would have thought you'd come to my grounding retreat, Ashton, because, <laughs> because I have a, a slide where I show that exactly, like yeah. the now uh, the Nowen's Nowen's lies, Henry Nowen's lies, I am what I have, mm-hmm. I am what I do, I am what others say about me, mm-hmm. match up completely the same with, so I am what I have, is the same as um, security and survival. Yeah, yeah. I am what I do, power and control. I am what other people say or think about me, affection and esteem. And interestingly enough, these, that each of these frameworks line up with the temptations of Jesus. Hmm. Wow. So it's the human condition, yeah, you know? Right. And thankfully we have teachers to give us these, this kind of framework to help us see what it is we're invited into in life's journey of, of becoming who we really are. And so the, the awakening begins the, the, Oh, like even just the, 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 the knowledge of the true self and the false self and, and like knowing that the false self is just like Halloween every day. Right. Um, <laughs> like it, it, you, you have this huge aha and then you move into longing where it's like, mm-hmm. but man, I'm, I've poured concrete around my feet in this false self. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do I, how do I live out of that divine union? How do I live as a child of the divine? Um, mm-hmm. And so I loved how in the book, the next space you go to is longing because there is some, there is some space between here mm-hmm. and union at the end. That's right. Um, and so... Uh, hold my hand there because you, you wrote in the book that this is the temptation here is to really just give up. Like a lot yeah. of, a lot of people, they, they just can't push through and it's where a lot of the hidden unseen work happens in yes. silence, stillness and solitude. Hold, hold my yes. hand there. Yeah. Well, you know, this is, this is why meditation or non-discursive prayer, contemplative prayer is so critical because once we wake up, we realize I'm not who I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah. And I might have a glimpse of who I am, but I'm not even sure who I really am. Mm-hmm. So how do I let go of who I'm not when I'm not yet fully who I really am? So how do I let go of my false self when I'm not even sure who my true self is? I mean, this is like, this can be like really, you know, very troubling. It can be 
psychologically like just chaos i mean really you know yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so here we are in the midst of i'm not what i i'm not who i thought i was and i'm not yet who i think i am how do i sit in that in-between space that liminal space of of between now and not yet and meditation is so helpful for that you know just to find a a spiritual practice that can hold you in the cocoon really you know as you are being transformed and it is a slow patient work and it is you know as a person of faith it really is a work that is i understand is being done to me Mm -hmm. and um it is you know in some ways the only prayer that we can pray at that stage is do for me what I cannot do for myself. Mm-hmm. I can I can only show up for the work. I can't actually recreate myself. You know, just like the butterfly can enter the, you know, the caterpillar can enter the co- cocoon, but the caterpillar is not is not making the metamorphosis happen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, and yeah. I love the butterfly metaphor that you you weave through the entire book, um, and it makes sense even when you lay that metaphor over the pilgrimage metaphor mm-hmm. um there's that dark that stillness um that happens mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it's like we ha- we have to is this remembering is this recognizing mm-hmm. like i'm just mm-hmm. thinking of the the a lot of these words of is this where we go to remember is this where we go mm-hmm. back to the to the garden if you will mm-hmm. to get totally. to, to get reconnected uh, which we we've never been disconnected from, um, right. and yet we just didn't know that it was there all along, and we never knew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, living as if we are separated. That's right. From ultimate reality, right. and the wake waking up is beginning to remember that I never was separated. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 And so after longing, we move into darkness. <clears throat> um, which is probably another thing that we would all rather avoid um, mm. is, is is the darkness. And I wanted to read this Cynthia Bergeau quote because mm. it was just so, so good. And I would love to hear your thoughts on the other side mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. That periods of psychological ferment and destabilization are signs that the journey is progressing, not failing. Um, that is such mm. a huge idea. Mm. that um, sometimes when we feel like we're in the dark and there's more uncertainty than certainty Mm. and it feels like there's more internal chaos than peace, that is actually forward momentum. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Hold my hand on your journey personally and with Mm. other people where you've walked down this path. How, How would you speak to the individual that's listening today Mm. They goes, I've woken up, I've, I've longed, but man, it's dark right now. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I, I have to begin by saying the spiritual journey is not for the faint of heart, <laughs> Right. you know, it is for the bold and courageous mm. yeah. and the daring yeah. and those who will not settle for less, yeah. Yeah. you know, it is the hero's journey. Totally. Uh, and, and, and so we have to be prepared for that. You know, we don't enter it lightly, but if you've awakened, I remember in my own story, uh, I, during a lot of, 
of the upheaval that I went through during the period in which this book was written, one of my um, dear friends, um, local priest at the, the Jesuit University and Parish here in town, he, he said to me at one point, because I was at that stage of darkness and I was, I was really questioning moving on, you know, like, how do I continue? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm weary. I, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm afraid. And he looked at me and with a twinkle in his eye and he smiled and he said, there's no turning back now. You know, <laughs> There's no turning back now. And it's true. I yeah. mean, you kind of, you go through that feeling of in a way wanting to, but then you realize to go back isn't going to be mm-hmm. any better. Mm-hmm. And in fact, probably worse, but it's just, it's a lot of the unknowing that is so difficult yes, in, in this is. journey. Yeah. And so as we enter that darkness of not knowing um, what's happening is a, is a deepening of trust and faith and real faith, not the faith that is like uh, the faith, like, this is what I believe. This is my creed, but the faith that is walking um, by faith without sight, like um, walking, um, be learning how to be led yeah. through the dark, yeah. not knowing. And, and that kind of, that kind of faith is the faith that can, move mountains, so to speak. Uh, but that kind of faith has to be really carved into us in our willingness to undergo the, the pilgrimage, the yeah. spiritual journey, you know? And I guess this is where the death conversation comes in because whatever truth you, you've held on to, whatever uh, these programs of happiness that you've held on to, whoever you think you are, um, this is... This is the invitation to death, uh, unless the grain of wheat dies. And 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 I love how you say, uh, we want the fruit, but resist the dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this makes so much sense in the middle of autumn right now, um, mm-hmm. just to see the trees do their dance. It's like mm-hmm. they're singing to us. This is how reality works. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, walk with me in this death mm-hmm. period because I feel mm-hmm. like. You're talking about something that needs to die in order for something that's dying to live. I think you wrote that in the book somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, at this stage, mm-hmm. with yourself and other stories you've crossed paths with, what what's the hardest mm-hmm. thing to embrace? Mm. Oh, man, Ashton. <laughs> uh, oh, it's just, yeah, it's so hard. I'm, I'm thinking again about the butterfly metaphor and I write about this in the book, there was a study done where um, scientists put tiny little microphones up on the chrysalis of a a caterpillar going through metamorphosis and could actually hear this creature crying in agony during this process, you know? And it's just like, that's what it's like. Um, It is a, it is a real death of, um, surrendering to uh, this process of gosh of being just ground down and just I mean just becoming nothing (laughs) um, so that so that something can emerge and it just isn't easy you know it is a 
a very delicate and painful process. And yet, so then it's like, well, why in the world do you do it? You know, why go right. through this? You know, it's like, well, why do the trees, leaves change color and fall to their death every year? You know, uh, we do it because there's beauty on the other side. Yeah. Making room for mm-hmm. what's true. Yeah. Uh, I think is, I think you're right. Once the separation is complete, the false self stuff has to die to make room for the truth. That's right. Um, and like the, the, the more I hang around these words and writings, like when you make room for the truth, that is such a spacious place to live. Um, Whereas on the mm. flip side, in the false self, it, 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 you feel claustrophobic. You, you feel, yeah. it, it's, and I know these are ch- tough words to use, but like, it's just so much more spacious on the other side of you breaking yeah. through into what is true. That's um, right. The weight off your shoulders. Yes. Um, you can yes. breathe. That inhale, exhale yeah. is there rather than feeling like you're always trying to catch your breath. That's right. Um, and I remember when I was a when I was awakening to my own stuff that I, I I think a lot of people can identify with this. I was thinking I would be in a room with friends or family and I would be aware that there's this tape being played over and over in my head. Mm-hmm. That there's this whole world being played out in my mind almost nonstop. And I, the mo- at, in the beginning, I thought, oh, my gosh, like, what is wrong with me? And I looked around and I thought, you know, what, all these other people must be so happy. You know, mm. I'm suffering here in my monologue and this, these incessant tapes being played over and over. But it's like um, once we die to that false self that is so identified and attached to that story that's being played in the mind, uh, then the, the tapes stop. Hmm. I mean, they really do mm-hmm. eventually stop. Like they, and th- that creates so much more capacity, like you're saying, and room for truth and energy. Yeah. Like this is a real physical, yeah. physiological thing that's happening as well. You know, it's not just left on some spiritual dimension. It's like, your whole body and mind and heart is freed up yeah. of, of the clutter that has been weighing it down. And that just frees us for to be of service in the world in magnificent ways, in ways that we couldn't have been otherwise with all the clutter that was taking up that space and draining our energy. Is this kind of in the, the phrasing of Eckhart Tolle, when you stop being the thinker of thoughts and you start becoming the seer of these thoughts? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I think that um, you you kind of become the witness. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, that's and really that is such a huge place to be. Yeah. Because you no, can flag it. it. Yeah. You immediately fla- start, you know, you, the tapes used to play, and then all they do is just feed your programs for happiness and whatever else, right? Yes, um, yes. But once you flag these thoughts, and A, I'm not my thoughts... Yes. Um, you you can separate from them and claim what is true, um, yes. and that's a huge huge place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I feel like only recently I've been able to wrap my hands around um, cultivating enough stillness yes. to be present. That the minute you leave the house and shut the garage when the world starts, you know 
in the bombardment of everything that comes our way, you, the true self can step back from moments, people, situations, and see the forest for the trees. Um, yes. In lieu of just constantly playing those tapes over and over. That's so good. So good. Yes. Yes. Um, which if I could just, yeah, go ahead. If I could, if I could just interject, this is again, why spiritual practice is so critical in meditation because, um, that practice of meditation, no matter how hard it is for us to sit still and cultivate interior silence, uh, and interior solitude, uh, that practice is what enables us to see the forest for the trees or see the trees for the forest. I mean, that's what enables us to really see those tapes being played and begin to get some distance from them. Right. Um, it makes all the difference. I mean, in my amateur move into 20 minute sits, the, the difference in my days Mm -hmm. is, it, it, I don't even have language for it. Mm-hmm. In the mornings, it doesn't happen. It's like, man, I'm I'm weighed down before the day even gets going. Because yeah. um, you do you you do realize just how how in in our head we are. Um, yes. You know, and and the work is here in this darkness and getting transformed back into divine union into our chest. Um, so let's talk transformation because that's the next yeah. step. Transformation's been my 2017 word of the year. Um, mm. So I've I've danced with it, studied it. Um, mm. I love how you wrote in here that that time is asking me to receive it as a gift, not as an enemy. Mm. In a culture where we're so driven, it everything's via time management. Everything is we're counting our minutes here and there. Mm-hmm. You. I love how you gave us the invitation to like, let transformation take some time. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. That was a real gift for me. Mm. Walk me through, you know, we've talked through the butterfly um, metaphor. How did you need to, in that time when you had that sabbatical, come to understand time in a new way, in this transformation stage, be it Mm. rest, Sabbath, um, it seems like you had a whole new understanding of time and rest and pause mm. in that transformation stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, pilgrimage, the actual pilgrimage um, in Spain was truly a, an incredible gift. I highly recommend it to anyone who can ever do such a thing because um, you, I, I experienced really this sense of liminal space like that I was in. Um, this this space and time kind of between heaven and earth, like suspended between mm-hmm. the worlds. And uh, I've never really experienced that anywhere else. But I think that was an incredible gift for giving me an understanding in my normal life uh, for the illusion of time right. and space, really, you know. And so, uh, again, I think power and control comes into play when we think about time and wanting to be in control of how time plays out or how our spiritual growth plays out or whatever it is, you know. But as we're talking about the process of of transformation, it's a relinquishing of power and control over my transformation and 
and really letting go of um, my notions of an outcome or what I expect or what I want um, on my timetable and in the way that I want it to come about. And so there's a lot of, of real letting go and, and it's in the letting go that then this transformational self can emerge mm. and come into view. And so that happens on a moment by moment basis, mm -hmm. a daily basis, a weekly basis over a period of years. It's all of that, you know, um, my, my spiritual practice, um, my main spiritual practice is centering prayer. And that's all about learning how to let go. Yeah. And it is in the letting go that the transformational self emerges. So, yeah, it's, I don't know if I can say more about that. Does that it's perfect. respond to That's what you're asking? Yeah. yeah. And, and as that transformational self does emerge, um, you then can become intimate with it. You, you then can come to know the, the true self, you that has yeah. always been, that always is, that always will be. Um, yes. And knowing that, that this was a, this was a huge line. I love how you wrote, and to be vulnerable is to be woundable. Um, mm. Like just knowing that um, this stage of intimacy, as you prepare to offer this true self to the world, um, mm. what we've just done is drop all of our shields. Mm. We've, we've dropped the ego. Like all that's left is what has always been there. And that's a mm. very, very vulnerable place to be. That's right. Um, and this is this is why the Christian faith is is still so meaningful to me because it is in the person of Jesus on the cross that we get a picture of the vulnerable self, hmm. um, the true self that is vulnerable, that is woundable. Um, this is an icon for our own journey and what what is possible for us as human beings to be so true to who we are that no matter what happens to us, no one can take that from us. And even at the, even to the, to the ultimate end of like our, our, our death, um, people taking our, our physical body from us, you know, that doesn't have the last word, like out of that vulnerability emerges love, hope, peace, transformation, a different way yeah. Yeah. of being uh, in the world. We get a vision for that. You know, it's a different way of being in relationship, moving from self-protection to woundability, I mean, vulnerability. But this has to come from a place of like full actualization as adults, you know, that's why I think we really do a disservice to children by in our, um, a lot of the Christian faith communities by expecting them to make a decision for Christ. Right. Because it's like, they have no idea what they're, what they're signing up for. Mm. You know, it's only once we have really come to terms with this true self, false self dimension within us, that we can actually choose the true self yeah. thereby laying down the false self that is the one that wants to self-protect and wants to um, match aggress aggression with aggression and um, hate with hate, you know, instead in the icon of Jesus, we see this 
invitation to meeting hate with love and meeting injury with embrace. Mm. I mean, this is the, Mm. these are, you know, these ideals are not, we just can't think our way into them. Um, You know, this requires a, a transformed reality of our personhood. And it begins, you know, in the most intimate relationships in our families, with our friends. And if we are so called, it looks like Dr. King or, Mahatma Gandhi or Dorothy Day or, you know, these incredible um, icons in more recent history that show us what's possible and, and what we can really become as human beings, right? Yep. The best of what we can be. Yeah. And, you know, now, you know, once you embrace that intimacy, I think that's when you, your work, you know, whatever your vocation is going to be, that's when it simultaneously becomes the thing that fills you up and this thing that's a gift to the world. Yeah. Um, like that's, yes. um, like that's how I define the music here at the podcast. Your music is that thing that gets you out of bed and that thing that's a gift to the world. And guess yes. what? It's always been there. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You know, it's just, it's fighting through, um, uh, the head battles, the thoughts, it's getting into the chest space, hearing who you are. Um, yes. Love is the truest reality that's ever been known and told about you. And from there, mm-hmm. living that out. And I love how you, you write at the end that now you're fully present and not tempted to hide. Um, mm-hmm. Like that the false self in a way is hiding. Um, mm-hmm. Ooh, like that gutted me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so good and so... Um, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. I, I, I would I would invite anyone who maybe hears this conversation and goes, man, whatever those two are talking about, I, I feel like that's a journey I need to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, this work uh, is, is so, so good. It's a page turner. And I think it will, of all the things that you and I have just briefly touched on, mm-hmm. um, I think your hope and my hope too would be that it, they would first initially awaken people. And from there, the process mm-hmm. begins. Yeah, yeah. And if I could say the revised edition has uh, reflection questions with each chapter and a spiritual practice with each chapter that I think people will find especially helpful. Absolutely. Um, that, that was something that our, my editor um, really wanted us to do because um, it is difficult to make this journey alone. And, and the reflection questions and the suggested spiritual practice, I think, will be a great support for people who are trying to navigate their own spiritual journey. Yes. So Pilgrimage of a Soul, Felina, best place we can go to find it, bookstores, Amazon, where would you send us? Yeah, well, wherever you like to buy books, but uh, <laughs> if you will go to Amazon uh, and if you want to do the Smile account for Gravity, um, Gravity, a center for contemplative activism, um, for the, those of you who know about the Smile yeah. accounts on, on Amazon, do that. But anywhere you want to buy your books fine with me awesome Mm -hmm. and for our listeners that maybe want to follow more of what you guys are doing um a couple websites i think one is it gravity center dot that's right org dot com Uh, com. dot com com. and then Mm felina.com yep like Mm -hmm. you know you're awesome when you own like your own first name domain like that's (laughs) that's kind of a big deal in the false self Uh... or in the false self kind of way (laughs) That did work out pretty well for me, didn't it? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, but man, well, I, I loved this conversation. And um, again, big hug through the microphone. So so thankful for your work. 
big hug uh, coming right back at you ashton i just really believe in you and all the good music you're making in the world so keep it up thank you thank Mm -hmm. you and i hope to see you soon yeah good okay cheers take care Hey, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Felina. Make sure you go online, get a copy of her book, Pilgrimage of a Soul. And if you want to find out more about what she's doing in the world, you can find everything out at Felina.com. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be loved.